and welcome to Talk in Migration. I'm Clara Sandlind and Talk in Migration is supported by the Department of Politics and the Migration Research Group at the University of Sheffield. When we talk, write and research about migration, do we see like a nation? Would we approach issues differently and ask different questions if instead we saw like a migrant? In his new book, Toward the Cosmopolitan Ethics of Mobility, The Migrants I View the World, Alex Sager, who is Associate Professor of Philosophy at Portland State University, claims that much research in migration is biased by methodological nationalism. If we could rid ourselves of methodological nationalism, perhaps we would be less focused, for example, on people moving between states and more focused on mobility as such. But what is methodological nationalism? I asked Alex Sager to explain. So, no, I, I actually struggle with articulating, uh, you know, what methodological nationalism is. So I, I am actually kind of glad you asked me this question. You forced me to give some thought to <laughs> how to explain it. But, I mean, br- broadly, it's, it, it's a cognitive bias or it's actually probably a, actually a set of cognitive to biases. And what it, what it does is it, it causes us to, to see the world from the perspective of the nation state, if, if you can say that. And there's, there's, there's different ways that this, this happens. Um, so often what it does is it takes the nation state as the unit of analysis. So the, the kind of the default assumption is that what's, you know, the actor that's relevant both in social sciences and morally relevant is, is the state. Um, the other thing it does is, is it accepts the categories determined by the state or by the nation state in a kind of an uncritical way. So we have things like the view that, uh, you know, national borders are the the borders that matter, uh, that they're more or less at the edges of national territory. Uh, A a view of membership in which people fully belong to one and only one political community. I think also we, we, we see this with distributive justice. So it often kind of presupposes that the the, 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 the boundaries of justice are co- coextensive with the nation state. And, you know, maybe, maybe one way to kind of explain it is to give, give an example. And uh, I think one helpful example is the term you know, immigrant. And, you know, we, we, we use this term in, you know, our, just our everyday lives and in our, in our research, but we don't often, at least I don't think, we often really step back and say, well, what is, what is an immigrant? And, you know, who, who is an immigrant? And um, these aren't, it's not an unproblematic uh, category because it's, it's, it's a category that has shifted historically and it shifts uh, in, uh, you know, di- it's different in diff- different parts of the world. Um, and, you know, the, the immigrant as a category, it's really a category that's set by the nation state through, through, through laws, but, uh, also through, through social norms, and these are often um, a, a product of, of nation building. So going back to the, you know, the one uh, kind of cognitive bias that you know, people are just assumed to either belong, you know, belong fully to a, a political community or, or just one and only one political community, um, you know, we have this idea that there are citizens that are you know, full members, and then you know, the other idea is if they're not citizens, they're, they're, they're guests, and they're, they're expected eventually to leave. Um, and then we, we get the term, the rather ugly term, you know, illegal immigrant or, you know, illegal alien. And, you know, this is the idea that, you know, there are people that should be detained and, 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 and expelled. And 
it is sort of you know one more example is um, this possibility I often find interesting when people talk about immigrants, but they're referring to people who have been born in the country or may actually be you know the grandchildren of you know people who came to the country and this this says a little, little I think a lot about it because uh, you know that suggests that you know who is an immigrant is often it's not a matter of human movement what really you know, is at the core for understanding, you know, where we get these categories is, 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 is nation building. So mm. that's, that's kind of a, kind of a first shot at, no, I find it, it's, it's, it's fascinating when you think about it, because I think when I read your book as well, you realize it's actually quite hard not to think in a kind of methodologically nationalist way. Uh, it's quite challenging um, just to try to sort of, I find it quite challenging in a way um, to think about what it actually means. But one of the things that you uh, discuss as a kind of consequence of, or if you will sort of break out of methodological nationalism, is to focus less on migration as such and more on mobility. So uh, could you explain what you mean by that shifting focus and what difference that it would make? Sure. Um well, I, I think this this is certainly related to what I was saying about uh, immigrants um, or the, the you know the category of immigrant. Um, I think, and certainly in political philosophy, you know, when we talk about m- mobility, it's almost always reduced to international migration across national borders. And um, you know, we also talk an awful lot about immigration, uh, and we don't really talk about emigration. So. We talk a lot about, you know, whether people have a, have have a right to enter a country, or whether a state has the, the the right to exclude people for different types types of reasons. And when you talk about immigration, people leaving their country, it's actually usually, in my opinion, it's it's under the you know the phrase brain drain, um, skilled workers, yeah. uh, developing countries, and that that itself seems to me to you know it presupposes there's a certain relationship between people and a nation state. And that to even sort of pose the question about, you know, do skilled workers have a, or have a right to leave, or do states have a right to put certain conditions on to to restrict their uh, their, their immigration? You know, it's 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 a methodologically nationalist set of presumptions that even leads you to to ask that question for better or for, for for worse. So, um, so this you know the, the focus on immigration it, it really, to my mind, gets a, a lot of human mobility wrong so it you know it, it, it assumes that it or it ignores the fact that you know many people um they're they're, they're mobile uh sometimes they come for a while and then they, they return to the country or many people are transnational you know they are their lifespan you know different uh, uh territories and some people don't have have a fixed territory and we have uh you know nomad, nomads have a particularly terrible time in today's world um you know, Roma's, you know, a case in point, but, um, you know, we, we tend to sort of dismiss these populations and, you know, really kind of ignore a lot of the harm that's done to them. So, all right. So th- this is just saying that, you know, the, the debate is even narrower than migration. I think a lot of the debate is immigration, but when you go to mo- mobility, things get really, I think, kind of, kind of fascinating. Um, one thing it opens up is internal migration. And uh, again, you know, political philosophers haven't written an awful lot of Internal migration, even though a lot of the same moral issues seem to be uh, to be, be there, and take a case like you know China, where we have the uh, 
know, the household registration system and you have uh, tens of millions of people who, you know, have moved from rural to urban um, places. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of parallel parallels, but I, I, I think it's really kind of under, under theorized when you open up mobility, you know, you start asking these types, types of questions and, you know, China's, I think in some ways exceptional, but this is certainly something that's happening around, you know, the world, uh, with internal mobility, but it, it's, it's not treated, it's usually treated as urbanism. And, you know, that raises a sort of a different set of assumptions and questions and, Kind of, you know, my, my question is, well, are, are these things so different? And certainly, you know, bears discussion. Uh, there, there's also something I, I think that's, to, to my mind, really kind, kind of interesting is, is when you start thinking about mobility, you see these connections to all these different problems and different academic literatures. Uh, take the United States, for example. There's, there's a horrible, you know, history of uh, internal first forced migration. So this is the history of, you know, the Native Americans in the United States that are were displaced and confined to res- reservations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's also a really ugly history about African Americans who, you know, were expelled from from towns around the United States, you know, throughout the 19th and 20th century. And, you know, this is internal forced migration. Um, but we, we, we don't draw, I think, a lot of the connections, we, we, you know, we should as, as theorists. Um, and, you know, talking about today a little bit more, and I, mean, I, I do mention in the book is, is gentrification. And, um, you know, we, we, we talk a lot, with philosophers talk a lot about supposed, you know, the supposed um, concern that, you know, immigrants, you know, will harm or affect culture in, you know, some sort of way. Uh, but, you know, with gentrification, what we're doing is we're, you know, often for economic and other uh, reasons, we're expelling people from communities and often, you know, having devastating effects on, uh, on, on local cultures. And, you know, I, I just think these, these connections are really fascinating. And I think sometimes, you know, shed some light. Uh, the other issue, I'll, I'll be quiet in a second, is uh, the uh, is, is segregation. And, um, you know, it's certainly something that, you know, de facto segregation is a real issue in a lot of, uh, you know, the United States and other places. And, um you know, this is, among other things, it's a mobility issue. You know, some populations uh, are restricted from some areas, often not by explicit laws, but it's, you know, often very clear to them because of racism or because, you know, economic factors. And, you know, I, I think, again, you know, with international migration, you see all these aspects and elements, but being able to draw these things together, um, I think that there's a real kind of potential for kind of an exciting theory of mobility that, that, these, these issues can mutually inform each other and can help us see, you know, aspects that, that are often invisible. So that's, that's in a nutshell what I'm trying to... Yeah, well, it seems like you've identified quite a lot of blind spots. <laughs> um, and uh, another thing that you... is a, a kind of uh, implication of your... Um, of your um, uh, discussion is... Uh, like a move away from statism in terms of um, borders, I suppose, or barriers to movement. Um, so um, rather than just focusing on state coercion, I suppose, you know, you were just mentioning gentrification there, but you also talk about um, barriers that stem from uh, sort of private actors. Um so I was just wondering if you could explain a bit there and whether you, from a kind of ethical point of view, whether there isn't still something kind of um, particularly bad about state coercion 
um, that isn't quite comparable to what private actors um, might do. Sure. No, I, I, I don't actually know what I think about this issue. I mean, certainly, you know, state coercion is extremely significant. And, you know, there, there's no way of, of getting around that. And uh, I don't know if it's uh, more morally problematic, but, it, you know, there, there, there are reasons why you, you might th think, it, think it is. Um, I, I, I do think, though, you know, that the problem is, is we, we focus, I, I, again, I, I, I hope this is unfair, but almost exclusively on state coercion. And I have a couple couple issues with that um one is is I, i'm not sure I, I believe there's such a sharp distinction between states and other actors yeah i was just thinking uh, that actually <laughs> yeah so you know take uh, you know the case of using you know private security companies to detain immigrants yeah yeah oh um <laughs> you know and you might say well you know they're 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 following some sort of government directive or so on and so forth but i'm not not sure it's actually that that clear and i you know i these days i know the u.s you know situation a little, little bit better but certainly these private actors are heavily involved in, in shaping government, government policy um and then just just other things you know private actors you know they're always constrained by rules and you know institutions set by governments so you know take uh, uh you know different types of uh, temporary uh, labor uh, uh programs you know whether an agricultural worker or domestic work and you know States set a framework, you know, in, in which uh, private actors uh, often treat people badly, and so you know, I, I find a lot of these 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 these, these distinctions uh, very kind of easy and abstract. But when you when you actually start working through particular cases, it, you know, it, it, it breaks down. Um, I guess, I, guess I, I I would say what's important isn't so much you know, ranking things by how morally problematic they are, uh, but acknowledging, you know, the, the, the many different types of, um, you know, actors that, 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 that are involved, and also thinking a lot more about how they're, they're interrelated, because they really do work together. To say one, you know, one other actor I think is important, which is, is the, you know, non-governmental organizations. Mm. And again, I, I don't think uh, uh, political philosophers have done anywhere near as much work as is, is needed to theorize, you know, they're often complex and often, uh, I, I think, uh, problematic um, role that, you know, that, that they play. And uh, so, so to my mind, it's really trying to, trying to open up, you know, you know, possibilities more than necessarily trying, trying, trying to rank. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. The next question I was going to ask is, so I, I suppose right at the start when you're talking about um, methodological nationalism, um, you say that, you know, we kind of tend to see things and see issues around migration through um, uh, through the nation. So your book's called, well, the subtitle is The, the Migrants' uh, Eye View of the World, which I, I suppose is a kind of contrast to that. Um, I was just thinking when I saw that, um, that... You know, is there a danger in a way to kind of assume any kind of view of the world and to um, almost claim to sort of represent a particular view? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I think there is a danger. Um, and, you know, in, in, in some ways, you know, the subtitle is, is, is kind of unfortunate just because, 
you know, migrants aren't a homogenous group. Yeah, sure. They they, they differ in all sorts of ways, you know, including, you know, their their, their forms of mobility and their goals and their interests and values and so on and so forth. So, you know, there isn't, you know, a migrant's eye view of the world. There's, you know, there are, you know, many migrants who probably, you know, groups have some similar views. But, you know, leaving that aside, I, you know, I don't think, you know, any one perspective is going to be all, all that helpful, um, given that this, this topic is just so, so complex. And what, what I've what been trying to do in the book is, you know, by trying to offer kind of, you know, a, a migrant's perspective is, is to really complicate and I think in some ways, you know, overturn um, some assumptions that, that we, we make. And, you know, one of the, um, I think aspects of methodological nas- nationalism is uh, um, sedentarism. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a word I've written a lot of times, but I don't, you know, it's not a word you say in conversation usually. <laughs> uh, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's the bias that, uh, you know, um, people are, are, are um, not mobile, they're, 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 they're fixed. And the idea that, you know, mobility is something that's abnormal or problematic. Um, I, re- I really do find it uh, significant that, you know, I- immigration is, is just seen almost automatically by so many people as something problematic. You know, when, when people see migration, they, they assume, well, something, something's gone wrong. You know, either people are being forced to move or they're, you know, they're violating state sovereignty or so on and so forth. And, you know, there, there's a set of assumptions that we we, we, we bring, you know, even to the beginning of a conversation about migration, that it's something that, you know, the fact that there's mobility, you know, we, we need to make an issue out of, out of it. And I think when you, you start thinking from a, you know, migrants, I view, view of the world, you know, you start to, to normalize, uh, you know, mo- mobility. And, and you look more at, you know, the complex relationships that migrants have with, with different institutions, the complex relationships they have with place and community and things like that. And so I think it's, I think, you know, my goal at least is, you know, to try to introduce nuance and complexity and and questions that uh, I don't think we're asking enough. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was definitely, (laughs) I think you do that really well when, after I read your book, uh, I had a lot of questions (laughs) about, you know, how to kind of move forward. But, um, one thing that you discuss in the book is um, methodological nationalism, both in the social sciences and in political philosophy. And I think you seem to think that in social sciences, <coughs> excuse me, they they kind of come a bit further in avoiding um, methodological nationalism. Um, so why do you why do you think this is the case? Why do you think polit- political philosophers are lagging behind? Well. I mean, I, I think it, part of it is, you know, usually political philosophers are lagging a bit behind. I mean, I think this was certainly, um, you know, g- given that they, you know, certainly I rely on secondary sources and, you know, it, it take, takes a while for those to, you know, to cross my, 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 my radar. But I think there's something, there's a couple other things that and I hope I'm not too, too, be too polemic here is, you know, I, I think social scientists, um, they're, they're trying to understand the world. And, you know, if you say you do anthropology, it means you're talking with migrants, you're, you know, following them on their journeys. Um, you know, you're 
interacting with the migration industry. And I think when you're kind of immersed in people's lives and, and you're really trying to understand what's going on, um, what, what happens is that um, migrants almost by, by definition resist uh, you know, a methodologically nationalist point of the world, they, they, uh, a view, viewpoint. They, you know, their, their, their lives and their journeys and their relationships uh, you know, across territories um, shows that there's a lot of limitations to, 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 to that perspective. And I think you know, social scientists uh, have had to, had to confront that, that and then they've had to try to think, you know, what, what is the vocabulary or what are the conceptual or the theoretical tools we can do to, to better understand what we're, what we're trying to, trying, trying to grasp. Um, I also think there's, and you know, this is a generalization and it's probably unfair, but um, I think there's a tendency among political philosophers, um, this may, may be changing, but, uh, you know, to know a lot, a lot about political philosophy, but not necessarily as, as much as they ought to know about some of the subjects they, you know, they, they, they write, write on. And I think, you know, there's, there's kind of an extreme position that, you know, philosophers can, you know, figure out fundamental questions about, say, rights or quality or state coercion or, you know, authority or legitimacy or, you know, a lot of these kind of fundamental notions. And they, they, they proceed as if, you know, you can really think through these by um, looking at philosophical texts. Um, or, you know, this is, again, I think this may, may be changing, but there, there's enough, there's still, you know, use of thought experiments in uh, philosophy or sort of hypotheticals. Um, you know, this is one thing I've, I've written a little, little bit about, um, you know, with, with the, uh, the brain drain uh, debate, and I, I don't like that term brain drain, uh, but you, you get a lot of articles that sort of say, you know, the empirical you know, evidence is complex. I'm not a, a economist or a social scientist, so I'm not entirely sure what to make of this. But let's assume for the purpose of argument that skilled migrants leaving their homes has all kinds of bad effects. Mm. And, you know, these sort of hypotheticals we sometimes get in political philosophy, you know, it's, it's supposed to you know, clarify and simplify in ways that we can address these really complex uh, issues. Uh, but I don't think that often we, we, we realize to, to what extent we're, we're bringing conceptual baggage, we're, we're bringing empirical assumptions into even the questions uh, we, we, we ask. And, um, you know, Again, there, there's plenty of exceptions, but I think sometimes we, we let political philosophers get away with that sort of thing. So instead of saying, you know, if you want to publish an article on, you know, immigration, well, you should be informed as well as you can be about, you know, what the empirical literature and different disciplines have said on, on this. And uh, I think often um, political philosophers aren't sort of held to having to do that, that, that hard work. And, you know, it's partly because of our disciplinary training and, uh, um, but I, I think it's also there's some assumptions about the you know in the discipline uh, you know stemming from you know, Rawls's theory of justice that we can say is immensely clever things with, and bracket an awful lot about the world and I think that's you probably can guess from what I've been saying it's problematic. <laughs> yeah. Um, just final question. Um, you so you 
your book is mainly uh, sort of critical, I suppose, but you end by developing uh, this uh, new um, theoretical framework for analysing mobility that you call critical cosmopolitanism. So I was wondering if you could uh, just say what that entails and also whether there is another book coming <laughs> when you're going to apply this. <laughs> Well, I, I have a I have a book where I'm supposed to be defending open borders uh, that I, I need to to focus on um, fo- focus on now, and I'm Fair hoping to <laughs> hoping to use some of the things in this book there, including you know the tough question about you know what what is a border. Um, but um, I, I I do want to I, I certainly want to develop you know what I've done in this book. I mean this 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 book in a lot of ways for me was. Uh, was a way of kind of opening opening up questions. You know, it was really not meant to be all that helpful in, in some substantive issues, uh, largely because I, I don't know what I think about, about a lot of these issues. And so, you know, what I really kind of hope it does is it raises a lot of questions that we need to think about a little, little bit harder. Um, what I would like to do, and this is, you know, the, the critical cosmopolitanism and people you know, it seemed to mean, you know, different things by that. But, you know, I, I think on one hand, it's, you know, on one hand, we, it's a cosmopolitan view, but I think we have to be a lot more sensitive as cosmopolitans to questions of community and place. And what what exactly does that mean or entail you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching here and I'm not, not entirely, uh, not, not entirely sh- sure. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you sort of, you know, what worries me about a lot of, you know, the literature and cosmopolitanism. I, I think what, what's happened in philosophy is, you know, we, 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 we moved to kind of a version of moral cosmopolitanism, the, the idea that, you know, every individual has equal moral worth. And, you know, what, what's happened in recent decades is that's actually been reconciled with um, nationalist points of view or statist points of views. You know, we have any number of people, uh, you know, defending this idea that to be a cosmopolitan, you actually have to embrace some form of, the, you know, the nation state. And um, that seems to be kind of I mean, hugely problematic for reasons we probably can't get into. Um, but what I really want to do is... I want to go deeper into cosmopolitan thought, both both historical and you know contemporary, and um, think about you know how mobility will affect the categories we use when we start to move from a moral to sort of a political cosmopolitanism. And I, I don't want to do this next book. I hopefully after the Open Borders book, I can do something that's not just on migration. I'd, I'd like to open up uh, cosmopolitan thought and think more about. How, how it impacts democracy and distributive justice and other, other topics. But what, what I like about migration or studying migration is it really touches on every single major topic in political philosophy. And I think opens up sort of new, new avenues and new, new windows and new ways of looking at questions about community or society and the, um, you know, political authority, distributive justice. And so what I think what a critical cosmopolitanism needs to do is it needs to think about you know, what are the, the alternative institutional arrangements that aren't simply states, but not, you know, a world government in a, in a way that we were, were able to 
take into account you know the importance of place and community but also incorporate mobility into that and think about how you know both place and community are, are often or or are also um you know mobility is, is a component of that and sort of sort of sort of you know, breaking down these oppositions you know thinking about it, you know ways in which uh people are actually interconnected and thinking a little bit more about the infrastructure in which that could happen and thinking a little bit more about uh you know how we can start thinking of start creating political institutions that you know really you know promise to be cosmopolitan goals and i realize that's all very vague and it's a long-term research project but uh, i hope by coming years i can make some progress on to find out more about alex sager and his new book please visit our website talkimmigration.com that was all for this time thanks for listening 